Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So she said, Here's my maid Bilhah. Go into her, and she will bear a child on my knees, and I also will have children by her. Then she gave him Bilhah, her maid, as wife, and Jacob went into her, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case, and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. And Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister. Indeed, I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as wife. And Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, a troop comes. So she called his name Gad. And Leah's name, maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a second son. <coughs> then Leah said, I'm happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. Now Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, it is, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him, meet her, meet, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come into me for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night and God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I've given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterward, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb, and she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name 
Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. Thus far, the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Let us pray. O Lord, open up this text that we may understand your grace in the midst of the messiness of our lives, even as you addressed and treated your people here with grace in the midst of the messiness of theirs. O Lord, lead us not to presume upon your grace, but to trust in your love, turning to you always in difficult times and in good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, no one is saved from the guilt and death that comes from sin unless they are found by faith to be united with Christ, united with him in his crucifixion <coughs> for the payment of their sins, and united with him in his resurrection, that they might walk in newness of life. <coughs> this Savior, Jesus, was descended from Jacob, of whom we read here in our passage this morning. There was a critical preparation which God made for the arrival of Jesus, born in the flesh of the Virgin Mary. The Lord God decided that the way he wanted to bring his eternal son into the world was that he would establish a nation from which Jesus would be born. And it happened to be a big nation. It didn't start that way, as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 22. Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons. And now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in multitude. It was always the choice of just a few people, just Abraham and Sarah, and then 70 as they went off to Egypt, and then a multitude. It was his grace that made them a great nation, but he wanted to do that as he promised to Jacob, chapter 28, verse 14 in Genesis. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and we read also, to Abraham, the grandfather of Jacob, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And then Genesis 15, speaking to Abraham, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And then to Isaac, the father of Jacob, Genesis 26 and verse 3, dwell in this land. And I will be with you and bless you. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. But to be frank with you, until this chapter, the multiplication wasn't really happening so well. In God's perfect plan, God chose to give only one connection between Abraham and Jacob. And that connection was Isaac. There wasn't going to be descendants of uh, of, of It was not going to be descendants through other people like Ishmael. It was only going to be one son of Abraham, which was the covenant line. And from Isaac to Jacob, it was only going to be one son that led to the covenant people, Jacob. But here we have multiplication happening in abundance. 
God worked in Jacob's life to bring a dramatic multiplication to even producing 11 sons, which then would become 12 ascribed to him later in the book of Genesis. Now, God's sovereign decision was not just to make Jacob feel like he was the really cool dude. He was the one, well, yeah, you really used me very well, God. No, he was doing this because God had a purpose. God had a purpose of laying down a track record, a template of revelatory faithfulness to 12 tribes, which would be mirrored in the 12 disciples that Jesus discipled when he was on earth. God was laying down a template of faithfulness in a whole nation that he was the one true and living God. And this monotheistic revelation had to be anchored in a group of people that heard the word as it was even said by us just a few minutes ago. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. This monotheism had to be anchored deep in a revelation to a whole nation to avoid the error of polytheism. If Jesus had come to just any old random country, any old random nation that had gods already, and he claimed to be God, then he would have been just one more God added to the panoply like we see in Hinduism. Oh, sure, you're a God too. Well, we'll make a special shelf for you on the wall of our house. But Jesus would have none of that. As the true eternal son of God, it had to be anchored solidly in their mindset that there is only one God. And you may say, well, Israel departed from this all the time. Israel was always going after idols. True, but they were purified of the idolatry in the exile. There was grave error, but this did not remove the revelation which they knew was true and which because of their sin went over to idolatry. At the end of the exile, for the most part, they returned to monotheism and the ministry of the word of God as it was read and as it was preached in the synagogue. We've got to remember there were real believers in Judaism. We can't just say that all those opponents of Jesus were the Pharisees and that's like the whole nation. No, there were many true believers in Israel. They were the people who were looking for the Messiah and who obeyed the Messiah's word when he declared to them that he was the son of God. So this whole plan of having a multiplicity of people, many people, like the sand of the sea, like the stars of the sky, was something that God wanted to bring about. And that was by grace. We read in Titus 3, 4, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So this goal of grace to bring about a nation that knew Jesus was part of a trinity, 
one God expressed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That goal was accomplished as Mary gave birth by a virgin birth to Jesus, but it had to have a grace-filled beginning. And we see God's grace here in the chapters before us, even in the midst of the problems of this family. So the outline this morning is human preferences do not govern God's preferred future, verses 31 through 35 of chapter 29. Exasperated? Glorify God. He is sovereign in our messes. Genesis 30, verses 1 through 13. And then Genesis 30, 14 to 24. Man's works are no match for a God who listens. Human preferences do not govern God's preferred future. Verses 31 through 35. I've heard hope defined as God's preferred future for our lives. It's God's preferred future. We have hope when we know that God has a plan and he has a purpose. And it may not match up with all my plans and all my purposes and all my feelings. But I trust in a God who is looking over the grand scope of my life. And I will believe that he has a preferred future for me even if it seems dismal at this moment. We invest in our relationship with him, trusting in him, and he will work it out. Leah was waiting for the working out because we see in chapter 29 and verse 31 that here we see that she is not loved. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb but Rachel was barren. You see, the fact that this husband loved the one and not the other affected two women's wombs. Leah had the sympathy and the care and the justice of God on her side. Rachel became barren. I believe there's a causative effect of how she was an unloved woman, Leah, that caused the fact that her sister would not have children. You may say, that's not fair. I'm saying that the influence in families of husbands is powerful. But God's grace was operating here to bring the unexpected result, the hard-to-predict outcome. The hope for Jacob's family, God's preferred future for Jacob to bring him descendants as numerous as the dust of the earth, was to bring the first four sons from Leah and two of the most important sons, Levi and Judah, from the union of Jacob and Leah. Levi was the ancestor of all the priests who served with the sons of Aaron in the temple, and Judah was the royal line from which David, King David, came, and also the son of David, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see here the specific way in which grace was shown in verse 32 so Leah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Reuben for she said the Lord has surely looked looked on my affliction now therefore my husband will love me grace was God's rescue for Leah in the midst of her affliction he looked that word Reuben means to look 
And I want to say to you, my brother and sister, he sees you sitting here this morning. If you have any affliction, the Lord has surely looked on your affliction as one of his covenant people who trust in Christ. Now praise him in that knowledge and trust him that over time, he will work out salvation in your life. He has already worked out an eternal salvation. He has set you on the path to heaven. That's the heavy lifting. So will he not also bless you now? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously and freely give us all things? Romans 8, verse 32. If God has sent his son to the cross to pay the penalty of your sins so that you can go to heaven, won't he give you a grace now? All things that you need for this life. Trust him with any matters still up in the air, stresses, griefs, sorrows, sicknesses, relational problems. Is it not so that he has promised to do this in the Bible? And we sometimes ask things. Her prayer was mixed with a prayer here of, now therefore my husband will love me. She said that. She declared that. That wasn't a prayer. But she said that. Well, she was mistaken. That's not quite evident quite yet. And we don't know that his affections ever returned to his first wife. But we can declare truth. And in the midst of that, we need to trust God that he will work his purpose out. Verse 33, God sees in verse 32, and God hears. He hears the cry, the cry, I believe, of Leah, who was a woman of prayer. We learn that in verse 17 that she prayed. I think it's appropriate to impute to her lips that he hears. And he says, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have born him three sons because the Lord has heard that I am loved. He has therefore given me this son also, verse 33. And she called his name Simeon, which means to hear. Call out to God. Don't sit silently in your closet. Don't sit silently in your uh, workplace. Don't sit silently in your home. Call out to God so God has something to hear. And she conceived again and born a son. Verse 34. And now Levi is named Levi because that means attached. And she feels at this point that uh, Jacob will be attached to her. But in verse 35, she returns her heart to her true Savior in heaven. We may consider verse 34 as, as simply what I want on this plane. But in verse 35, her God-centered names are returned to and says, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. And then she stopped bearing. So we see here the promise given in these two names, Levi, the tribe of the priests, Judah, the tribe of the kings. <coughs> and the key thing here is that some of our wishes do not come true. I, I, I speak a realism into your life as I've learned to know it myself. 
not all of our wishes will come true. But we rest in the praise of God even when those wishes do not come true. God is great. God is sovereign. We must submit ourselves to his will and learn to pray as Jesus prayed, not my will, but thine be done. And we also observe with this destiny in these two tribes, Levi and Judah, that God's grace operates beyond our finding out. I don't think Leah knew that Levi and Judah would have these special roles, these special purposes for God's people in the future. But there is some of what we will never know about our life impacts that we have on a next generation or those around us. And we see the interesting fact that as she's praising God, she stopped bearing. You may think, when I'm in the middle of your will, when I'm you know, producing four children here, God, and I'm praising you with the last one, why is that when I need to stop bearing? It's at those moments of incongruity. We get it when we're running from God, when we're a rebel against God, and then things go south. We get that. What's harder to understand is when we are seeking to faithfully serve God, that at that moment, God stops things. God slows down the arrival of the children. And so I ask you to consider the grace of waiting upon God. And I ask you to consider that he will do all things perfectly in his time. Verses 1 through 13, we read, exasperated, glorify God. He is sovereign in our messes. We see a, a husband-wife conflict here, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 30. Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. <coughs> or else I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of your womb? Here we see that the Bible is clear about what really happened, okay? The Bible doesn't cover up the family fights. This is not hagiography, uh, 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 writing down the things about holy people, the hagios, trying to make sinful men and women to be something less than what they are. They are sinful, men and women. And we need to understand that we also are sinners. And this gospel is for us too. After our fights, after our difficult moments, and we see that God's grace is working in the middle of our messes. And this is no excuse for deliberately sinning, but it is reassurance that our life is not over when we have failed. We need to come to God. And the response of of Jacob here is the correct one. It is to throw it into the lap of God. <coughs> Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? God's grace operates in such a way that we can see God sovereign in uh, Rachel's life. And, and 
one of the messinesses of this situation is that Jacob has refused to love Leah. Leah was unloved, and God opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And you may say, well, this is a messy situation, but they didn't know any better. I'd like to suggest to you that they did. And I'd like you to turn with me to Mark chapter 10 and verse 3, where we read of the creation order of marriage. And he answered and said to them, what did Moses command to you? They said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. Mark 10 verse 5. And Jesus answered and said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, <coughs> God made the male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his wife, father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Jesus described how Moses had allowed for divorce because of the hardness of men's hearts, but that the original plan, the original model laid down in the Garden of Eden was one man and one woman for life. The original expression of humanity is binary, two, male and female. God designed marriage to be the reuniting of the two to become one. Eve was taken out of the body of Adam. What was one became two. And then in marriage, the two became one. Yes, this is the plan, and this was known to the patriarchs. The patriarchs knew about the Garden of Eden. That was not simply uh, implanted in the mind of Moses as special revelation. It could have been. But my understanding of the Old Testament is that there is a moral framework. And that moral framework is something which is given and which the patriarchs should live according to. How else could Paul criticize Abraham for going into his, his Ishmael and, and having a relation with her as an act of works? if he was not morally responsible. God knew that he had revealed this in the garden, and Jacob knew God's plan for marriage, and it was an utter mess to bring not only two wives into his marriage, but then Bilhah, a third woman, and a fourth woman. Four women in one man's bed. This is a royal mess. But God in his grace works in the midst of this mess. Two sons by Bilhah, attributed to Rachel as her sons, and this child is to be born on her knees, verse 3. That means it would be attributed to Rachel. And that name is Dan, meaning judge, meaning that Rachel's case was judged by God. That's a declaration. That's not a prayer. It's simply her saying what she thinks. God has judged my case. He's heard my voice and given me a son. And Alan Ross puts, puts it, and Naphtali, my wrestling, revealing that she feels she has wrestled with her sister Leah and has prevailed. Alan Ross puts it, these names do not reflect a strong faith like Leah's. 
Rather, they reflect Rachel's bitter struggle with her sister for vindication. The two wives could have easily produced the number of sons God required to start a large nation. And there was no necessity for Jacob to bring these other handmaids into his bed. And so I want to say to you, and by way of encouragement, if you have a mess in your life right now or in the past, this mess does not obliterate God's grace. Rather, in the midst of our mess, we turn to God in faith and trust his grace to make things right. And Leah said when she had a baby by Zilpah attributed to her, verse 11, a troop comes. And Leah said in verse 13, I'm happy. The daughters will call me blessed. And that one had the name of Asher. And so God's grace operates in the midst of our life. I don't want you to think that you're disqualified in this church because there are some histories you bring with you. Our calling is to repent of all known sin. I'm calling you to repentance now, today, at this service. If there is a mess that you're causing, leave it here at the foot of the cross. Repent today. But I am saying there is hope for you. Glorify God like Jacob did. He said, am I in the place of God? He pointed to God. Yield to his sovereignty. Receive the blessing of God as from his hand. As Leah said, the daughters will call me blessed. And this blessing comes from God. So the third point, man's works are no match for a God who listens. Verses 14 to 24. In these verses, we see the futility of man's works and plotting, as shown in the use of mandrakes, which some people say was simply a plant that had an aphrodisiac quality that helped both uh, the stimulation of uh, sexual activity and also childbearing. But it was thought to be a superstitious thing, sort of a magical plant in other commentators. And Leah receives it from her son Reuben, who collected it in the field. And Rachel sees them as recorded in verse 14 and asks of Leah, could she get some of that mandrake from Leah to improve her prospects of conceiving? To which Leah responds, you stole my husband. Will you steal my son's mandrakes also? Rachel proposes something which she felt she could authoritatively arrange as the favored wife. Rachel thought she could arrange a night between Leah and Jacob. And we see in verse 15 that Rachel says, Therefore he will lie for you tonight for your son's mandrakes. This indicates the greater intimacy that Rachel had with Jacob. That Rachel could influence him to lie with Leah on a particular night. Rachel leveraged her power in this situation. Our works are leveraged often in our power, our relationships, and where we think we can control people to make things go our way. And we also tend to bargain with material things like mandrakes to make matters turn out 
the way we wish. Rachel was hoping that after Leah had had her night with Jacob, she would then have her night with Jacob, and with the assistance of mandrakes, she would conceive. But it did not turn out that way. Instead of benefiting herself, Rachel's offer to Leah of a night with Jacob immediately blessed Leah with a pregnancy. And why? Verse 17, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah had a greater faith and was in an intimate fellowship with God through prayer. Leah was in a daily walk with God, enjoying God's grace while Rachel is disappointed. As Meredith Klein puts it, Rachel's frantic effort proved a total failure for her while it was the occasion for her rival, Leah, to be blessed with two more sons and subsequently a daughter. God listened to Leah. It wasn't magic, but the God who answers prayer, who was the true source of the coveted blessing, as Leah acknowledged when naming her sons. First, Issachar, God has given me... <coughs> God has given me my wages, and then God has endowed me with a good endowment, Issachar and Zebulun. The mandrakes did not work for Rachel, but we see her also finally turning to God in faith, believing as she prayed to God, verse number 22, then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. Before this, Rachel was wrestling with her sister, as it says in verse 8. With great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister. But she had not yet wrestled with God in prayer. Prayer is not automatic. Prayer is a reality of our wrestling with God. It is claiming the promises. It is going to God and praying, oh Lord, bless me. As Klein puts it, there was a new humility in Rachel. The gift of new life was not given to Rachel, the beautiful favorite of her husband, but to Rachel, the barren, who turned to God out of her hopelessness. You see, God's grace, as we saw in Sunday school, needs to have a place to go. But if our life is filled up with sin and filled up with pride, there is no place for God's grace to enter. Rachel was evidently the favored wife. Perhaps she was more attractive, according to Jacob. I think Rachel was proud of her looks and proud of her station as being the favored wife of Jacob. But God finally emptied her of that pride. And she prayed, and God gave her what she was looking for, a son who was named Joseph. Even this Joseph, the Lord shall add to me another son. When Leah started having sons, Jacob didn't. Uh, uh, Jacob came and said to, uh, said to Rachel, believe with me in the sovereign God. Don't complain to me. Am I in the place of God? As, as we see this part of the chapter, he was trying to push his wife 
toward God's grace. We are called to trust in God's grace to give us spiritual and practical fruitfulness. You see, fruitfulness is really is what is at issue here. The fruit of the womb, our spiritual fruitfulness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, the fruit of saved souls that are converting to Christ, the fruit of a job well done in the world. This fruit comes from God. And so let us look to God for that fruit. It says in Hebrews 13, 15, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So we praise God with our lips, but we also praise God with our lives. We share what we have so that others may be blessed. Do not despair in the messes of your life as we look at the second point. Look to God for help. This was undoubtedly a mess, and the writer of this book portrays it as a mess. He shows all the bitterness and the envy and the sin and that flows out of the fact that, that Jacob had more than one wife. And I want you never to think that, that the messes are something that, that, that disqualify us. The key thing is that the moment you discern the mess, you come to God and you repent of all known sin. And then you seek God's purpose through the mess. We see that this uh, rejection of magic and the rejection of the mandrakes, a work of man, a work of manipulation. I'm going to give you a night with Jacob. This is man's doing. But God's grace is generous. God's grace is comprehensive even in the midst of our messes. God's grace claims to be the singular sanctifying power in our life. It's not by mandrakes. It's not by our power. It is by the blessing of God. As Rachel began praying in verse 22, humbling herself and calling out to the Lord. As Davis puts it, in spite of all the crabbing, strife, conflict, anguish, tensions, bickering and miseries, through it all, in it all, Yahweh is faithful to his promise. Here are 11 sons of Jacob. Does this mean God approves of having four wives? No. The pains experienced by Leah and also Rachel through her childlessness, which was caused by Jacob's neglect of Leah, leads us to believe that God, who inspired Moses to write this text, is dead set against multiple wives. But God works through our messes he was faithful to his word, and he will be faithful to you in his word. Embrace God's grace. Honor his sovereignty. And submit yourself to the singular sanctifying power of God in your life. And then watch God multiply the fruit in your life. Let us pray. Oh, God bless this congregation. Help us together to be a witness of your fruitfulness as we rest in your grace and turn away from works of self-justification.
Help us, O oh Lord, to trust you even when there are difficulties in our life which are severe. Help us not to despair at that moment, but to repent of all known sin and then turn to you for knowledge about the next step. Oh Lord, we pray these things, also lifting up the pastoral concern.